0: Platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is BizTalk.
1: Hello and welcome to this edition of Biz Talk. I'm Lilulu. Latest figures show that China's retail sales of consumer goods continue to expand in the first half of 2023. The ongoing economic recovery and rise in residents' income have stimulated an increased propensity among consumers to be willing to spend money more generously. Now, how is the structure of consumption changed? With consumption upgrading and supply chain advantages, where are the opportunities for new brands in China? And the big question can China hold on to this growth momentum for the second half of the year? Joining me today are Professor Michael Powers, Chair Professor of Finance at the School of Economics and Management of Tsinghua University. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And Mr. Bruno Leng, Senior Partner of Bang & Company. Thank you. And also we have Mr. Wayne Xiong, Founding Partner of China Growth Capital.
0: Thank you for having me here.
1: Great to have you on the show, gentlemen. So we are going to talk about China's consumption data. First of all, let's take a more detailed look at those numbers that were just released a few days ago concerning the development of China in the first half of 2023. Well, China has released its consumption data for the first half of 2023. Let's take a look at uh, some of the key numbers here. Total retail sales of consumer goods went up by 8.2% compared to the previous year. Consumer spending played a significant role in driving economic growth, accounting for 77% of the overall growth. Well, That number is significantly higher than the previous year. In terms of prices, there hasn't been significant changes. Inflation remained steady with a slight increase in consumer pricing index of 0.7% on the year. So let's start by having a bit of data analysis. Can I start with Professor Powers? Could you help us to understand better, what do those numbers tell us? And especially, what does it reveal about the main drivers of consumption, especially considering we're amid a currently a global low growth period?
0: I think
2: that there's some volatility in these numbers. Um, and that if you look, um, you look at the most recent quarter compared to the first quarter of the year, uh, there are differences in those numbers. Um, and then if you look by sector within uh, retail sales, you'll see that they're are ups and down, they're weak spots and, and there are strong spots. I think we need to, what we could say is that that they are in the positive territory, that if you take the first and the second quarter together, things look generally good in, in, in from most perspectives. Um, but the the three point one percent figure that you 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 indicated, um, is a little bit lower than, than many um, analysts would have expected. I think that there is a concern about uh, not enough demand domestically in China. Um, and that's something that the, the government has been
3: addressing.
1: Yes, we're going to go into that uh, later on in the program. But for now, let me go to Mr. Lang. What is your thought on that?
3: I think number one, there is um, maybe a difference in, in expectation. Uh, and because we always compare the situation with whatever expectations we had and uh, and i think a lot of our expectations for china growth were probably misplaced because they were compared to the western expectations and to the western um, performance of 2022. there was a stimulus a very very strong stimulus that was there during during the covid times and of course we didn't have that in china during that time you know how the chinese behaviors and and what what is up and what is down i think it's, it's very clear when you look at the data that everything that is Experience oriented, uh, experience consumption oriented as opposed to product uh, consumption oriented is doing a lot better. So, tourism, travel, uh, even restaurants, catering, all of those sectors have enjoyed double digit growth. I think even domestic travel is much higher in, in the first six months of 23 compared to 2019 pre COVID. So, so, yes, so we have all these considerations at the same time. And um, and so that's why I think it's a work in progress. I would I would uh, qualify, I think, the the consumption numbers for the first half. Uh, But I'm optimistic for the second half, definitely.
1: Uh, Let me go to Wang first. Mr Wang Xiong, as an investor, how would you read China's consumer data for the first half of the year?
0: If you look at the data from a non real estate perspective, actually, it's kind of okay. right? Usually real estate and cars will just consist of like 50 percent of consumption. And now people with what's going on in real estate in China. And then you still have like this kind of 8% growth. I think that's uh, that's quite impressive. Um, but of course, you can feel, like the, feel the heat in the market, right? Well, when we travel there, there's, uh, well, it's hard to get a ticket and uh, the, all the hotels are, are full. And uh, so uh, if you look at the sectors we're in, we're looking at the discretionary consumer product, We're looking at technology consumer products. And uh, from that perspective, I think uh, the recovery is very obvious. Um, yeah, so, so I think it's a pretty good start for, for all of us in the venture capital market and to see the, see the, the consumer are paying, uh, spending money on new products, on new brands. Uh, that's encouraging. I think the market has uh, come to a quite successful recovery.
1: So it's, uh, there's already quite some interesting findings in China. We all know this saying that confidence is more precious than gold. So let's talk about consumer confidence. And we have some, th- some third-party data showing that consumer confidence in China is actually bouncing back. These data show that consumers are increasing their spending on things like food, fashion, and health care. As people regain trust and optimism, China's consumer market is getting ready for quite an exi- exciting period of growth. And this represents excellent opportunities for businesses and the overall economy to thrive. So let's get into uh, our discussion about that. Professor Powers, how do you see, foresee though, uh, China's consumption playing out in the second half of the year?
2: I think that it will improve and I, I think confidence, consumer confidence will improve. It has bounced back somewhat, as you indicated, mm-hmm. still considerably lower than at, at pre-COVID times. Um, I, I think that one, one point that was made by Mr. Lan is, is very apt, and that is that I, I think that many, many, when many analysts, especially Western analysts, look at what's going on in China's economy right now. They're, they're seeing it through the perspective of how things happen in the West. I think we're, we're seeing the, China's government is relying on the markets is actually expecting the markets you know not immediately but um, in a slow deliberate way to recover uh, from the COVID period whereas in the United States I think there was the sense of desperation almost that we, we had to do something we have to throw money at the problem so I think what we'll see in China is a more targeted approach it's slower than what many analysts would would want perhaps you know those who would like to see a rise in, in the stock market index it's slower than what, what what they would want to see. But in terms of stability and um, this long term stability of the recovery, I, I, I think that it's actually a very good approach, and especially when we, we, we start talking about things such as the role of the real estate sector and other asset classes. Um, which complicate uh, the matter
3: considerably.
1: Uh, Mr. Lan, can I go to get to you on, on the same question? You talked about how uh, you are quite optimistic about second half.
3: As Bain, as you know, we, we publish twice a year what we call the Shopper Report. Chinese consumers are a lot more price sensitive than they were. If you remember, before 2019, uh, it was all about premiumization. There was no, uh, you know, no end to the appetite of Chinese to buy the, the latest innovation, even though that latest innovation could be pricey. I think you have to come to terms with this reality that there is price sensitivity from the consumers. Mm-hmm. We have seen it in the 618, for example, which which I think I've shown that is very, very promotional led. Uh, on one hand, you also see the, the, the slowing growth of retail sales over the last three months. And so therefore, I think all the input that they need to be able to Uh, you know, put in place a stimulus package which has to be more targeted, I agree. For your question, I think I'm very optimistic because I think the fundamentals of the Chinese consumption are are in place and so we see urbanization, uh, we see income per capita growth, a combination of those fundamentals and the stimulus I think would make a a great second half.
0: Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics latest events juiciest stories all with a very personal take subscribe to sideline story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in china and around the world a platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers this is BizTalk. talk
1: the Chinese government has implemented a range of pro-consumption policies, and they cover various sectors uh, from furnitures to property, from vehicles to high-end products. So, gentlemen, my question is, what are your general comments on, on these policies? Do you think that they have been effective and do you anticipate that there, they would continue until the end of 2023? Can I start with Professor Powers, please?
2: Sure. I think that um, the ones that um, the the people have been talking about, um, actually uh, some of the the stimulus, especially on on the fiscal side, um, is is probably going to come into play um, later this year as well. It may already have begun, but it will be playing an important role in the second half of 2023. They want to get the the best bang for the buck or the best bang for the, the, the renminbi. In other words, they want to to put money in the hands of people who are then going to spend it in ways that enhance the economy. As the country um, needs to find ways uh, to to continue the the rapid growth that it's experienced in the past, um, more money needs to be put in the hands of entrepreneurs, of small and medium sized Mm -hmm. enterprises that are developing new products, largely, you know, in the tech sector in the um, in the online uh, various types of online distribution uh, sectors in green energy in in these places Um, and how how can we do that well one way would be to to make that uh, an attractive asset class that is in order get get people to invest in in those those types
3: of um, assets
1: mr lane can i get your view on this same question
3: consumption is the the consequence it's the last step of uh, an economic process which starts with if you go back you say well in order for people to consume they need to have income for people to have income they need to have jobs for people to have jobs you need entrepreneurs and i agree with professor powers points on entrepreneurs uh, and so you need to go to the root cause of you know why are people not consuming well maybe because they don't have enough income so why don't they have income well because there is a lot of unemployment higher than than was in the case in 2019 for example especially when you use unemployment and uh, and i think the stimulus should ultimately be on the on the supply side of the economy so so entrepreneurs and industries uh, and service sectors uh, entrepreneurs the chinese chinese economy success over the last uh, 40 years or so uh, because of two main drivers one was the uh you know the chinese government and the build out of infrastructure so it became very easy for anybody to do business in china Mm -hmm. and that was extraordinary Uh, and that's very unique the way i think the government has done this over the last 40 years Um, and the second driver was the chinese entrepreneurs from the mom and pop shop to uh you know the the digital uh you know behemoth that have been created there has been millions and millions of people who created jobs uh, and created companies because they created jobs Creates a job because they created companies. Sorry, and so we need to recreate that dynamic. I think it's you know what can be done for the entrepreneurs, what can be done so that they continue to create companies and then recruit people, create jobs, and if we do that, then I think we'll solve the consumption problem.
1: Great, gentlemen, you both uh, put an emphasis on the importance of companies, enterprises in expanding consumer demand. Uh, Actually, yeah, yes, we all know that restoring consumer confidence relies on improvements in employment and income expectations. The private economy, particularly small and medium-sized enterprises, they play a vital role in China's economic growth. So my question to you is, how do you think, how significant are SMEs in expanding consumer demand and what measures have been taken to support private companies and those small and medium-sized even micro-businesses? What more needs to be done on this front? Uh, Professor Powers,
2: there is going to be a great deal of thinking put into how to target uh, the stimulus to, to get to uh, the right places. And I think the small and medium sized enterprises are the right place, the private companies that are innovating. Now, I, um, Mr. Lan mentioned that you know, a few, it, it, China has a great history of innovation mm-hmm. in the, the technology sector, in the, uh, the sharing economy. Uh, the online payment um, and online purchase economy and so forth. There were many entrepreneurs, their household names now and and so on. Now, having said that, such businesses don't always succeed. There's a lot of risk involved in this. But I think that um, if there were more funding available on the margin, many of these very talented, very well-educated young people Um, would have a little bit more incentive and they they would go out and work for these companies or they would start them up themselves. And I I think that that's something that could be good for the economy.
1: Mm -hmm. Mr. Lund, what would be your suggestions for uh, small and medium-sized enterprises in terms of policy
3: support? I would mention a couple of things. One is uh, access to credit. I think it's, um, I mean, bank credit um it's uh it's very important as you start a business that you have some uh, working capital facility in place with your bank for example depending on the you know payment terms that you have with your with your customers and um and also if you want to expand that you need uh, you need uh, access to credit Uh, and so that would be one area Uh, the second area is um you would say taxation and uh, and uh, You know, you could say income tax for the first uh, for the first three years or first five years. Or you could have a a mechanism that says for the first three years, you are not going to pay any any, uh, you know, uh, tax on your profit, uh, so that you can reinvest those funds into the growth of your business uh, could be another area. I think the third typically what we see in other countries is uh, around regulation and making sure that uh, starting a business, whatever the sector is easy, straightforward, uh, simple. Uh, You can be in business overnight and, and you can focus on the business as opposed to filling out papers and, and uh, responding to requests from the administration.
1: And speaking of starting businesses, I think uh, Mr. Sean probably has a say on, on that front. I mean, he meets with new business startups all the time. Uh, so Mr. Sean I want to ask you, first of all, from an investor's perspective, how do you think can capital play uh, in, in, in the process of promoting small and medium-sized enterprises and their growth?
0: We think venture capital is crucial if uh, you should look at what, has, what what has happened. in. US market and uh, all a lot of major brands are sponsored back by venture capital investors and uh, not just technology sector but also consumer sectors and we protect uh apparel space you look at uh, food and beverages and a lot of things are or kind of ideas and products are backed by venture capital investors so um, and and uh, speaking of employment speaking of uh, new business opportunities I think these see play uh, VCs play a kind of really important role in the entire economy um, and because also because of VC we usually only provide a very small portion of capital to those companies not we're not deploying huge amount of capital but we're kind of putting here and there small, small capital get companies started and then with the right Leadership and the right product market fit, and those companies and with the, the products they can really take off. So uh, it's really kind of combination of both capital and entrepreneurship. Chinese people are really intra- entrepreneurial. I, I think that's really a big advantage of the economy, and uh, and that comes really nicely with the with the venture capital piece, right? Uh, so if you look at the globally, there there venture capital pretty much only belongs to u.s market and chinese market so the, those are the two largest venture capital markets in the world and of course we have israel and we have other parts of the world participating in the, in the, the ecosystem mm-hmm. so um speaking our role in the economy we think we we really create new opportunities for future employment we, we create new large potentially large taxpayers and uh, um, uh, and new products to the next generation consumers so um so speaking of that then i think with the right allocation of resources into venture capital, which can be a really good leverage for for the government to consider. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is BizTalk.
1: Let's move on to our next uh, topic that we'll be talking about, the changed consumption structure. And let's focus on the term new consumption. So with the rapid development of China's massive consumer market, the concept of new consumption comes up. Gentlemen, I want to get your ideas on how would you characterize China's new consumption and what really sets it apart from traditional consumption. Can I start with Professor Powers, please?
2: I generally think of um, lifestyle-related purchases that are attractive to middle and upper-income households. Mm -hmm. Things that make uh, life more interesting, traveling, um, could be luxury products. In other words, they are things that that people move toward as they become more affluent. But on the s- supply side, the, the, the production side, in whether are, we're talking about goods or services, n- these new consumption products, they generally are um, more sophisticated. They re- require um, much more skill in manufacturing or providing the services, better education, better training of workers, uh, more creativity in design and so forth. The new consumption is important, it is, you know, the the way that China is going to continue on the road to becoming a higher income nation, Um, but it, but there are, you know, specific differences on both the, 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 the demand side and the supply side that we have to keep in mind.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Mr. Sean, I want to get your idea on that. How do investors identify what is new consumption? Would you be more excited when you figure out that that a business is identified as a new consumption business when you try to make an investment decision?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think uh, uh, the Chinese, well, how we define Chinese new new consumption is actually part of the uh, kind of global new consumption wave. So because if you look at the con- consumer sector, um, for every generation, there's third generation brands, third generation platforms, and of course, if you compare uh, China versus other parts of the world, each generation. Uh, yearn for their own generation of of, uh, new brands and products. So every few years, every maybe four or five years, every every 10 years, there will be new wave of new brands coming out. So consumer brands are always a major theme for investing. Uh, I think that's the traction of, of the sector, right? It's always happening. It's not like, okay, we're done. We're, we're, we, we should we just stop investing in consumers. We should move on to semiconductors only. But consumer has always been a major theme for, for 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 the global economy. So that's really excites us.
1: Let me get to Mr. lane You talked about e-commerce earlier. You talked about some of the uh, the new platforms. How do you think our offline and online retail channels converging now?
3: I think all of those developments, all of those technology developments that you mentioned, is essentially favorable to the consumers. I think they have uh, an amazing array of choices in front of them not only in terms of, of products and services uh, but also in terms of the ways to access those products and services and uh, that's a very healthy development I think for for the uh, brick and mortar retailers that uh, that are out there. I think in terms of technology uh, as you mentioned the AR, VR and others I think all of this is helping consumers to realize and to try without sometimes even going to the store uh, you know what these products and services can do, I think the traceability as well that is not available in many stores, but where the product comes from, how was it manufactured what 's the raw material involved in those all of this is also technology enabled and it 's very very useful to consumers so that they know what they buy so all of this I think is favorable to the consumers and helping consumption because it 's reassuring that these are you know good products and services to consume
1: now I would like to touch upon. Uh, this topic about income gap. We know that income gap between urban and rural rural residents in China has been uh, gradually narrowing. Data indicates that the real growth of per capita disposable income in rural areas has consistently outpaced that of urban areas. And in year 2021, for instance, the growth rate of rural per capita income was 2.6 percentage points higher than its urban counterparts. As income levels continue to rise, it represents opportunities for businesses to tap into the expanding purchasing power of rural consumers and contribute to the overall growth of the economy. So let me get to Professor Powers. What are your perspectives on the importance and significance of further developing the countryside as a way to stimulate consumption and also raise incomes?
2: It's an opportunity. It's not a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, There are people actually who are saying that China's population in the aggregate because stable or may even be declining, that this is somehow going to be a problem. There are still there is still a a vast amount of untapped talent. And buying power in China's rural areas by developing these areas. Not only do will we have will will these these consumers uh, generate greater wealth for the economy as whole, but they will contribute their talents to the economy. They will um, they will have the opportunity to be to be better educated, to start their own businesses and so forth, And, and I see that as a very very positive on um, prospect for the next few years
1: what about you mr shun would you be looking at the investment opportunities uh, for in businesses that target rural areas or uh, smaller cities
0: yeah uh, so we don't call it rural areas in you know, kind of our, our way of looking at mm-hmm. new, new opportunities uh, because we, we think it's another wave probably the third wave of urbanization happening in china So initially, we have this already happening in the late 90s and then uh, kind of after Olympic Games in 2008 and then the China's rebuilding lobbying structure. And now it's the third wave of urbanization happening with together with the policy um, kind of made more towards more improving the the local lifestyles of the local residents and and increasingly notice the fact that people are coming back to their hometowns, right? Uh, not, not just in the past, young people tend to stay like, oh, I want to stay in Beijing. I want to stay in Shanghai. Shenzhen, And that's the top one choice. And now today, after college, people just go back to their hometowns. So uh, and with, with more talented people kind of going back to their hometowns, creating their own businesses or doing things on their own and attracting venture capital like us. And they, they create more opportunities for local employment and the, the, being part of this huge uh, organization process.
1: Gentlemen, thank you so much. We can never have enough time because we could go on forever on this topic. Once again, thank you very much. We had Professor Michael Powers, Chair Professor of Finance and School of Economics and Management of Tsinghua University, Mr. Bruno Lang, Senior Partner of Bain & Company, and Mr. Wang Shun, Founding Partner of China Growth Capital. Thank you so much for staying with us. Our audience, this is a special edition of CGTN Biz Talk, and we'll be back next time. See you. Bye for now.
0: With a history of 5000 years, it's no surprise that China has created a fabulous treasury of folk tales.
1: Once a year, on the 7th day of the 7th month, all the magpies fly up to heaven and form a bridge.
0: So many amazing worlds to discover. "I want a new palace," said King Mu of Zhou one day. Chinese folk tales retold for audiences today. "Will will you marry me?" he asked.